message, someone asked me just before the service, how many languages, official languages, are there in South Africa? And we have 11 official languages. Uh, nine of them are uh, indigenous languages, and two of them are European languages. And I speak under correction, but a week or so before we came to Ireland, I think it was announced that the government was uh, initiating a 12th language, which is sign language. So as far as I know, I speak under correction, we have 12 official languages, including sign language. The general language used in for government and public use business is English, but uh, there are 11 uh, spoken languages, amongst which are Afrikaans, which is a, a derivative of Dutch, English as you also speak here, Tswana, Xhosa, Zulu, Southern Suti, Northern Suti, Tsonga, Venda, Swati, and Ndebele. So if you have any interest in any of those, someone asked, the same person asked me, don't you speak Portuguese? No. <laughs> I did, growing up I had some Portuguese friends and I remember one phrase, Epa Handaki. Which means? Uh, hey, come here. There we go. <laughs> I, I tried to just call it a pie. <laughs> it was spoken to me, yes. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Many followers of Jesus today, as in the time of the Apostle Paul uh, and the church at Corinth, believe that the greatest thing about the Holy Spirit is to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. In African terms, this is seen as a demonstration of spiritual power. And it is considered to be the true mark of Christian spirituality. So if you want to be seen to be a true Christian, you have to, with great power, exercise the spiritual gifts of the Spirit. There is, however, a work of the Spirit that, in my mind, exceeds any practice of a spiritual gift. In fact, a work of the Holy Spirit that will make any requirement for the exercising of a spiritual gift redundant. And that work of the Holy Spirit is the resurrection of the dead in Christ. So today I want to speak about the Holy Spirit and resurrection. And I want us to have a very brief look into this work of the Holy Spirit. We are really are building on what we have done in our series so far by knowing that the Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of the Lord that he dwells in each believer, and that he dwells amongst us as the gathered church. We also have looked at how the Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus, employing believers to say and act and do things that reflect and will bring glory to Christ. 
We also have seen how the Holy Spirit brings to bear the powers of the age to come, enabling believers to live now in this present age as if they were living in the age to come, living not according to the powers of this age, in other words, of the flesh, or as Paul also uses, the old man, but according to the kind of life of the age to come, walking in the Spirit, putting on the new man in Christ. So today we're adding on that and building on that and looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in relation to resurrection. The first thing we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is the agent of creation. In the opening uh, verses of the book of Genesis, we are presented with the Holy Spirit as the agent of God's creation. In Genesis 1 verses 2 and 3 we read that the earth was formless and empty, that darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And what that means is that as God speaks, the Spirit of God takes what God speaks and makes it, turns it into reality. So the active agent of making what God speaks become a full reality is actually the Spirit of God. In the same manner then, and I'm not going to demonstrate that to you from Scripture, I'm just going to state it. By all means, check that out and see whether what I'm saying is correct. But in the same manner, the Holy Spirit is the agent of God's new creation. And essential to that act of new creation, or of the age to come, we, have, we use different language for this, to explain that. We use the term age to come, or we speak of the new heavens and the new earth, or we speak of heaven, or we speak of the everlasting kingdom of God. Whatever language we may employ, what we are looking at is that the Holy Spirit is essential to making that future reality become complete. And central to that new creation reality is resurrection from the dead. Paul says it like this in Romans 8 verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So if we look at the logic of what Paul is saying, we need to, we can ask it, go through it like this and ask this question. Was Jesus raised from the dead? Yes? yes? Who did that? Who raised him from the dead? The Holy Spirit did, right? So, Jesus is resurrected from the dead by what means? By the Spirit, the agent of creation. Does the Spirit dwell in you now as a follower of Jesus? So when it comes to that moment of resurrection, who's going to raise you from the dead? The Holy Spirit is going to. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And what is He going to do? He's going to give life to your mortal bodies 
So Paul is saying our bodies at the moment are mortal. They are subject to death. Okay, that's what is meant by mortal. This body that you and I are living in right now, these bodies, they are subject to death. You will die in this body. But it's not going to stay that way because at some point in the future, God will raise you from the dead. And how is he going to do that? By the Holy Spirit. Now, when will this happen? I want to take you to one of my favorite verses from the Gospel of John. And I was thinking about this yesterday, about you, John, with your street ministry. So, in doing evangelism, it is my personal conviction that we should always leave people with a promise that Jesus made. We should always leave them with one of the promises Jesus makes. And this, for me, is one of the greatest promises Jesus makes from John 6, verses 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will, and so this is the promise of Jesus, my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, and here comes the promise, shall have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. What is Jesus promising to those who will put their faith and trust in him? That he's going to resurrect them. He's going to raise them up from the dead. Now, every week I've taught you a Greek word. I might as well teach you the last one from me anyway. Can I tell you the Greek word for resurrection, for being raised? It's an easy word to say, even in Portuguese. Portuguese speakers. You can say it with me. Egairo. 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 That's the word for resurrection. Jesus is saying, I will egairo him on the last day. I will resurrect him out from amongst the dead. So whenever you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus is promising you that though you may die, Yet you will live. And how will you live? Because he will raise you up on the last day. And who is the agent for that? The Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16, the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear when he says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And what is going to happen when Jesus returns in that moment? The dead in Christ will rise first. You will be resurrected. Now, I know there are different ways of understanding the second coming of Christ. I don't want to get into all those differences. However, you may understand how the, the return of Christ is going to happen. In the end, every, everyone who is a Christian believes that you're going to be resurrected from the dead, right? So with that moment, somehow connected to the return of Christ, there is going to be the resurrection of believers. And who is the agent of that resurrection? The Holy Spirit. 
The Apostle Paul, again in relation to Jesus, says this about the, the Holy Spirit and resurrection in Romans 1 and verse 4. That through the, who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is saying Jesus is proven, demonstrated, declared to be the Son of God. How? How do we know Jesus is the promised Messiah? We know he's the promised Messiah because though he was subjected to death by crucifixion on the cross, what did God do for him? He raised him from the dead. And how did he do that? Paul says he did that through the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit. All right? So first main point, Resurrection is accomplished through the work of the Spirit. Now I want to speak to you about your body as a temple because that connects with resurrection. For way too long there has been a tendency in Christian thought to despise our bodies. That's been a major problem. When I first became a Christian, I was immediately told and taught, you have to despise the flesh. Hate your flesh. I had a pastor who was discipling me and he had to go for a conference to Pretoria from the, the place we were living in and he asked me to go with him. I'm a teenager, I'm 17 years old. He says, come with me to this conference. And I get in the car and it's an hour's travel we get to Pretoria, we attend the conference, and now we're traveling back. And I, I'm, I am so thirsty. I mean, I'm... And I say to him, Pastor Twine, his surname was Twine. I said, Pastor Twine, could we maybe just stop and get a cold drink or something? And he said, no. <laughs> You've got to take control of the flesh. You've got to suppress your flesh. And you must put it down. In the process of us putting the flesh down, a lot of people despise the human body. And there's a difference between what the New Testament refers to as flesh and the body. The body is never to be despised. The body, the human body is designed and created by God. We are to love our bodies. We are to give thanks for our bodies. We may not always like the way we look, but the body is a gift from God. It is the creation of God. Our bodies are not to be despised. We are to despise the flesh. And what does the New Testament mean by flesh? It means Yes, human life, all of human life, subject to the power of sin, to the power of death, to the power of the devil, living under God's judgment. That's what is meant by flesh. But that doesn't mean the body itself is evil or bad. In fact, the body is precious to the Lord. The human person consists 
of spirit, soul, and body. We often try and separate those out from each other. And that is a mistake. In resurrection, the whole human person is made complete, spirit, soul, and body. So let me make it clear what I mean by resurrection. It is the bringing back to full human life again of the whole person, in particular, the giving of life to the, to the body never to be subject to death again. Never to be subject to death again. In other words, to become immortal. Now, this is how the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body, see that word, body? And it's a different word. The, the word body and the word flesh are different in Greek, which is why I can say what I'm saying. The word for, I'm, I'm teaching in more in Greek words. Oh my Lord, Griff, what am I doing? I'm giving you three Greek words today. The word for, for, for body in, in Greek is soma. And the word for flesh is the word sucks. That's why we know that when Paul talks about the flesh and the body, he's talking about two separate things. All right? So now in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is saying, do you not know that your body, your soma, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. And then what? look what Paul says. You are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You were bought at a price. Where were you bought at a price? What is that price? It's the death of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus dies, physically dies on the cross, he is buying, he is purchasing for himself your body, your whole person. Therefore, Paul says, honor God, glorify God. With what? He doesn't say with your spirit only, but with your body. With your whole person, body, soul, and spirit. Or should I say spirit, soul, and body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The body matters to God. The body is created by God to be the vehicle for the kind of life that you are to inherit in the age to come. In the age to come, you will receive a resurrected body, a body created by the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus himself or what John, the Apostle John tells us about Jesus himself. In John chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, or all the way through to verse 22, we've got this interesting interaction. Jesus is being confronted by the scribes and the Pharisees, and in that confrontation, he says this to them, destroy this temple. And what temple is he talking about? What do they think he's talking about? The Jerusalem temple. And he says, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his, his body. After, look what it says, after he was raised from the dead. 
His disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So here is a connection between your body being a temple and resurrection from the dead. Here is the New Testament. Here is how the Apostle Paul considers your body. Your body has been purchased by Christ through his death. And then, with him giving you the, the Holy Spirit who will raise your body to, in resurrection, that body now, in the present, is considered to be a temple. Why is it considered to be a temple? Because the Spirit of God dwells in you, and what is he going to do with your body? He's going to raise it from the dead at some point when Christ returns. That is the, how Jesus spoke of his own body, that his body was a temple demonstrated in and through resurrection. So our bodies matter in the present, which is why Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, saying again, don't you know that it's, it's almost, Paul is almost exasperated with the church at Corinth. Don't you know that your body is the temple of God and that God's spirit lives in you? Don't you know that? And if you do anything that brings harm to God's temple, what is God going to do to that person? God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. Not only is this body a temple of God because the Spirit of God dwells in me, but we're adding to that concept by saying that body is going to be resurrected from the dead. And, and for that reason, you need to treat and do what you do in your body with great honor and, and clarity and, and carefulness because what, our bodies matter. Our bodies matter. Now, the last point I want to make is that resurrection is a spiritual body. And for you to understand what I mean by that, we have to look at 1 Corinthians 15. I first want to take you to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35. Paul asks these two questions. How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? So two questions. First question, how are the dead raised? What's the answer? By the Holy Spirit. By the Creator God, through His Spirit. Easy, right? Second question. What kind of body is the resurrection body? A lot more difficult to answer. We find the answer to that question in verses 42 to 44, where it says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And these verses have, are, have caused Christians a great deal of difficulty over the years. And it really doesn't need to be 
so difficult. Paul uses the concept of sowing seed. Right? So if you sow corn, is it possible if you sow corn and sow seeds of corn into the ground, is it possible to get apples? What will you get if you sow corn? Corn, right? So Paul's saying, the body, the body is a bit like that, like sowing seed. When you sow it, when it is sown, it is actually sown a body which is perishable. What is meant by that? It means that it is subject to decay and death. This body that we currently live in, under God's judgment, these fallen bodies, what are they subject to? They are subject to decay and death. They are subject to being perishable. They will die. But it is raised imperishable. So Paul's comparing these two things now. So here's something you need to know. I don't want to make this complex. But there's a continuity between our bodies that we have now and the bodies that we will be raised with. I've got bad news for, for you, John. I'll pick on John. I've got bad news for you, John. You will be recognizable in your resurrected body. Oh, there's John. Why? Because there's continuity between this body and the resurrected body. Is the resurrected body of Jesus different to his body before he was, before or when he died, before he died? It is different, but could people recognize him? At first they didn't, because who expects someone to come back from the dead, right? No one expects that. But later they could recognize him. They, they knew, they could see, oh, that's Jesus. What did Thomas do? What does Jesus invite Thomas to do? Put your hands, feel, look here. He has the scars. Feel, put your, hand, put your hands in the side. This is where the spear went in, Thomas. Come feel, come see. That's after Jesus was raised from the dead. There's continuity. There are things that are the same from this present body that we have to the resurrection body. But there are also things that are different. It's going to be different. And Paul is giving us f at least four major differences. One is, this body is subject to decay and death. The resurrection body is immortal. It will never die again. It's the difference between the resurrection from the dead of Lazarus and Jesus. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, did Lazarus later die again? He did. Why? Because he wasn't raised from the dead into an immortal body. He was just brought back to life. If you want, he was resuscitated. But he wasn't resurrected in the sense that Jesus was resurrected. Because can Jesus die again? No. No. And we will be like Jesus. Paul's saying we will have the same kind of body Jesus has, immortal. He said that the, this body, this fallen body, is sown in dishonor. 
can we truly bring glory, complete glory and honor to Jesus in this body? We're always going to fall short. We, no matter how hard we may try, we're always going to fall short. There are always going to be moments where we will bring dishonor to Christ in this body. But once resurrected in glory, we will be able to fulfill God's purpose for, for humanity and bring glory to him in ways that we could never imagine right now. Then Paul says that it is sown in weakness. And weakness here can mean a number of things. It can mean that we are subject to temptation. And because we are sub subject to temptation, we, we can fall into sin. And it also has this, this sense that we can become ill. Sickness and disease are things that we struggle with deeply. But that's, that's the nature of this body, this fallen body. But the resurrected body is, is raised in power, free from all sickness, from all disease, from all temptation, from all sin. And then the really difficult one that we struggle with so much, because it's, Paul says it is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. And when people hear the term spiritual body, they think we're going to be spirits floating up somewhere. We even have pictures, Christian artists have drawn pictures of, of us sitting almost like angel-like with wings floating in the air. That's not what Paul means by a spiritual body. The way that the Greek is written, we can translate it like this. The body is a natural body, which is referring to normal parentage. So from Adam and Eve, the kind of life we've derived from Adam and Eve onwards. How did you come into being? Not to make this difficult or rude or awkward for anyone, but how, how did you come into being? Because you have human parents, right? Simple. You came into being because you had human parents. Now, here's what Paul is, it's sown a natural body. It's sown by means of normal parenting. But it is raised a body of the spirit. When you are resurrected from the dead, that body, there is no human involvement when in resurrection. It is entirely the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to cause for your body to be brought back to full human life, for you to become a full human person again. And there is no human cause, no human contribution to that. It is entirely the work of the Spirit. That is what Paul means by a spiritual body, a body created by the Spirit. And that is going to happen at the return of Christ. It doesn't mean a non-physical body. It doesn't mean an immaterial body, but instead a body animated by the Holy Spirit. I, I like to refer to it as this. 
we're all heading for the age to come, heaven, kingdom of God, whatever you want to call that. We're going to need a body to be able to live in that. And what the Holy Spirit does is he gives us a body fit for the kingdom of God. He gives us a resurrected body that will enable us to live in that age to come. He will give us a body that will enable us to live in God's new creation. And that, once we have that kind of body in the age to come, the Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 12 through to chapter 14, when that perfect has come, that which is, in, is imperfect, will fade away. Will we need gifts of the Spirit in the age to come? Will we need prophecy in the age to come? Will we? No. Will we need healing? Why not? Because you will be resurrected. You will be immortal. Will you need words of wisdom? Why not? because you will be dwelling with wisdom himself, Christ Jesus. Will you need tongues? No, because you will have Christ speaking. Will you need miracles? No, because the greatest miracle of all has just happened. See? The Holy Spirit's work in resurrection is... I, in my humble view, the greatest work of the Spirit for the believer. May we as the people of God, may you as Limerick Baptist Church become more and more aware of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And by saying all that, I don't mean to denigrate in any way the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. I've just been trying to show you that the person and work of the Spirit is far greater and broader than just fruit and gifts. And I hope that I've managed to convey some of that to you over these last four Sundays. In closing, I want to say this. There may be someone here this morning who does not know Christ as Lord and Savior. You may think, wow, there's, I can be raised from the dead and be part of God's everlasting kingdom. Well, the only way you can be part of that is if you submit to and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that means that you have to acknowledge that only Jesus can save you from your sin. Only Jesus can forgive you of your sin. Only Jesus can make you whole. Only Jesus can send to you the Holy Spirit. And the only way you can receive all of those amazing realities is by repenting from your sin and turning to Christ, believing that He is Lord, that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, and that only He can make you whole and forgive you and draw you into and become part of His people. So I'm inviting anyone here this morning who's never done that, 
who's never come to a place of putting faith and trust in Christ. After the closing song and prayer, there will be people up front here who are able to help you come to Christ and give expression to that and lead you to Christ. So I'm inviting you this morning. Don't leave here without doing that. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we rejoice in the work of your Holy Spirit. May you continue to minister to us as a people, your people, in relation to the work and person of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may you in particular make us understand the work of resurrection and the Holy Spirit's role in raising us and causing for us to be the temple of God. So Lord, may your blessing rest upon this congregation. May you draw people to yourself. I pray for Limerick Baptist Church, Lord, that you would use this local body to reach many people in Limerick and surround. Lord, may you use their testimony, may you use their ministry to bring life and transformation, not only to this community, but Lord, to many as they will touch and, and connect with people across Ireland and across the world. So Lord, we commit this body to you in Jesus' name. Amen.